Today I want to talk about on being evangelical. We've been doing five attributes that make us a powerful church. We've spoken about being contemplative and being etc, etc, etc. And uh, then we did two weeks on being just and bringing justice. And today I want to finish it off on the last one on being evangelical, good news people. First of all, just to say, that word in the Greek is evangelion, which means good news. Now the Romans themselves and the Roman Greek world used to use this word. For example, when Rome used to go in and smash up a city or a, a surrounding community and then colonize it to make it like itself, Rome would announce, good news! But who was it good news to? It was only good news to the Romans. It was not good news to those who had been pillaged and colonized. But Christianity, the apostles realized this was the word that they wanted to use because of the, the love-centric mission of Jesus. We truly bring in good news. You know, the prophets, when they announced Jesus was coming, they spoke of good news coming to all the world, not just the Jewish nation. Good news coming to the Gentiles. When the angels announced it to the shepherds, they said, good news to the whole world. The whole world. This is good news, not just for the Romans, who, like they used to use it, this is good news to everybody, whoever you are, whatever you've done, God has good news for you in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, Bob Dylan, who I actually really like his music, Susan's not, a, not such a fan, but he was this prophetic poet, singer, um, in kind of the late 60s, early 70s, who, who used to sing these incredible songs. And he, one of his most famous songs was um, The Times, They Are A-Changing. The Times, They Are A-Changing. And that is something that we've got to come to terms with, that the world continues to change. But God's good news forever stays the same and applies no matter what's happening in the world. You know, there was a pre-Christian world a pre-Christian world. It was a world marked by a lot of spirituality, a lot of worship of gods, of deities, and paganism, and ritual, and sacrifice, and it was, it was all over, especially Europe was, was incredibly pagan with this pre-Christian world. And then this mission goes out, and the world slowly starts to be Christianized, and it goes everywhere. And then we had like pretty much a, a Christianized, for example, world, especially when, you, when you're thinking about Europe, all the way across into the Americas, etc., and then through Africa and South America, etc., becomes a Christianized world. But the way that they did that Christianization, called Christendom, was actually not very gospel-orientated. The intention was good, but the way they did it was bad. And then in most parts of the world, now we've come to a post-Christian world. So what does a post-Christian world mean? It doesn't mean maybe what you think it means. But as some of the commentators on a post-Christian world have said, it is where, for example, when Jesus comes, he wants to bring dignity and value to people. He wants to uplift people. He wants to give people a hope. He wants to bring justice where there's injustice. All of that's good. So a post-Christian world is where you want justice 
and you want fairness and equality and equity and you want human dignity and human value. But you, so you want the kingdom, but you don't want the king. Yeah. Out with the king. We don't need a Jesus. We don't need a God. We'll do it ourselves, but we want the kingdom that he brought. That's what we call a post-Christian world. That's the world that we're living in. And, and, and perhaps Durban and South Africa is not so post-Christian like London is and New York is and, and Bern and other places around the world. But as Bradley Taylor said, and, he, and he's watching, so hello Brad, um, from London, he said he, he lives in a genuinely post-Christian world. When he stops to speak to people on the street about Jesus, they just turn around and walk away. They've got no interest in this king. He says... And this is, prophetically speaking, he feels that South Africa has got several more years before it becomes a post-Christian nation. So we need to take stock of that and grab a hold of the times in which we live. So I'm talking about being evangelical and good news people. We have got a good news that is for any time. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever no matter how the times are, they are changing, as Bob Dylan said. Now, I want to tell you why we're good news people, because we've got a gospel that we're bringing, a good news that we're bringing. Now, the gospel is not about morality, though it influences it. It's not about church going or rule keeping, although that happens. The gospel is we fail miserably, but God loves us Anyway, while more of us, no, sorry, while none of us are good enough or worthy enough to receive that love, God still gives it. God's love claims us, everyone, it's good news for the whole world. And this was proven to us in Jesus, and Gary Nicolosi said that. But sadly, the church hasn't always been known for bringing good news. Let me, let me just highlight two of that taint the history of the church. The one is when, in our wisdom, we decided that church and state can marry. When church and government state can become one. When the emperor and the, and the priest or the pope or the apostle, whoever they are, become one and they start to do this thing together. Because you know what happens? The mission of Christ becomes diluted. Because... Whenever, you, whenever you're leading a nation with different people and your heart isn't pure, politics is a dirty game. It's a lot of give and take in order to get what you want. And so this was a disaster. Thanks, Constantine and others who helped this process. Because what it did is it tainted the mission of the gospel coming out of the church. And Christendom arose through that. And there was this, this radical Christ nations, we, we say Christian nations, in inverted commas, would colonize other nations and make them Christian. We will make you Christian like us. Of course, the second one is the, are the Crusades. And what I want to say is, oh my God, have mercy on us. We, we honestly, to my shame, and I, and I say this, to my shame, I just paid no attention to that. I didn't read about it. I didn't care about it because this is the time in which I live. But we've got to understand the rest of the world 
has been educated and tainted by the history of the Crusades, the Christian Crusades. So in a nutshell, let me just remind you of that. A series of religious wars, bloody, violent, aggressors. In all, there were eight major crusades between 1096 and 1291. So we're living in 2020. This was 10. Okay, got it? Just in terms of the reality. In November 1095, at the Council of Clermont in southern France, the Pope called on Western Christians to take up arms to aid the Byzantines and to recapture the Holy Land from Muslim control. Because the Muslims had started to infiltrate and take over different areas that were once very Christian. The Pope said, no more. Take up arms. Let's go fight. Let's go reclaim those. And so they did. This marked the beginning of the Crusades. Pope Urban's plea was met with a tremendous response, both among the military elite as well as ordinary citizens. Those who joined the armed pilgrimage wore a cross as a symbol of we as the church are taking back what's ours. Another group of Crusaders, led by the notorious Count Emiko, carried out a series of massacres of Jews. Beautiful drawing widespread outrage and a major crisis in Jewish-Christian relations. Can you imagine what the followers of Islam and the, follower and the Jewish people would have thought of the church and the mission of the church? Ruthless, widespread massacre, I'm talking massacre, of Muslims, Jews, and non-Christians by the church representing Jesus called to bring good news. Imagine Jesus calling his disciples together, saying, guys, take up arms. We're going to take over the world. Kill. Don't leave anyone who doesn't want to follow me alive. Can you imagine Jesus? Yet the church did this in his name. In fact, Jesus said the exact opposite to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, Peter takes out a sword because Jesus is going to be arrested and he wants to fight. And Jesus says, my kingdom, my world, my way is not of this world. In my kingdom, sorry, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Yet the church in the in those days of the Crusades, decided that they were going to, because of this, there's all this intermarriage between state and, and church. It, it, it gets dirty, it gets tainted, it gets polluted. So I want to ask you this. You might say, why, why are you telling me all of this? Um, just think about the naivety and the ignorance of the Christian church today who announces that this weekend we're having a crusade in Africa which is also largely Muslim 
Can you think of any Muslim who would want to go to a Christian crusade on the weekend to hear the good news? Oh, no. We forget how certain words and certain things are, are tainted by history, and we should throw that word away, Christians, and not use that word because it's only going to be associated with the disaster of what we did as, as the church. So we've got to be wise. I'm talking about we, if we are good news people, what, how, what is the best way to bring good news to the world in which we live? That's what I'm talking about today. Tim Keller said, It is dangerous then to fall into the unbiblical belief that the ministry of the Word is simply preaching sermons. The gospel of God is not only carried in the preaching of sermons to people. It is a dangerous thing to think that's where the gospel comes to people. That's through, through what? Many, many Christians, including myself, I never came to Christ listening to somebody preach. We, the church, are the body of Christ. We are the gospel-carrying people. We are the evangelions. Evangelions. <laughs> Evangelion ones. We carry this good news into the world in which we live. And most people who need the gospel aren't in the church. They're out there. And they don't want to set foot in the church. So we've got to rearrange how we think about being gospel-carrying people, the good news people. How do we reach the world, this ever-changing world in which we live? We are the scattered servants. We are the gathered family, and we're the scattered servants. We are the ones who are anointed by God with the Spirit of God to in some way bring a revelation of this gospel to people. And I'm going to unpack just now how we can do that in this changing world. When the church complicates the mission of Jesus, when the church decides it's got a better mission, we won't be carrying the gospel to the world that God wants us to. He said, go into all the world, make disciples. He said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And on and on it goes. Good news. Gospel carrying, good news. Think about it, good news, right? Good news does not include hate speech. In other words, good news does not include quoting scriptures Not in context, not in covenant, that means old and new covenant, and not in love. If you're going to quote scriptures out of context, out of covenant, or out of, when I say out of love, I don't mean from love, I mean outside of love, don't do it. The Bible says, let your speech always be gracious. Censored with salt, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's what Paul said in Colossians. Not over-salted, just seasoned with salt, just right. But we really need to understand the world in which we live. And I want to talk a little bit about this world now. So this world, there was a, it was a pre-modern world. Then it, it moved into modernism. 
There was the Enlightenment and the Reformation, and then it became a modern world. We're going back hundreds of years still. And then it moved from modernism into postmodernism, which is more the world in which we live. What's interesting is, although it's a postmodern secular world now, and we can explain what that is in a moment, actually in the times of Jesus, it was also a very secular world. And the world moves in cycles and waves, like we were talking about the other day. It changes the whole time. Bob Dylan said, the times they are changing. But we've got to understand that the gospel of Jesus is good for all seasons. When we keep it as to what it really is. <clears throat> Excuse me. So now, in the, when it shifted from pre-modernism to modernism, and I'm, there's a reason why I'm sharing this with you. And it's not a lecture. You're not going to be tested on it. But it just helps us understand where we are now. <clears throat> Excuse me. When the world shifted to modernism, it, um, it became very influenced by science and by laws that were universal. And so it, it shifted away from subjectivity to objectivity and to universalism and to, it, it became depersonalized in a sense. But, but suddenly authority was recognized. And there was a universal authority. For example, the laws of physics apply no matter where you are in the world. No matter what nation, no matter what culture, no matter what government, it's a law. And so there was this universalism and pe that people lived under. And there was an authority that people recognized. During this period, although it was challenging for the church, there was one great positive for the church. And that is that the Word of God, the written Word carried such authority because this was a time when things moved from the oral to the written because now the laws could be written, the laws of physics and the laws of science that defined all things and the, and the laws of God. So suddenly when you said the Bible said this, people took note. This was the time, obviously, as well as things were being printed. So written things started to, to, to have authority. So the Bible had much authority in those days, the days of modernism. You could quote the Bible and people would take note. Now we live in a postmodern world. So Tillman said the following. He said, there was a shift to modernity centuries ago. There was a move from the oral to the written. So beforehand, people would just pass on information orally. And it was taken with, that's influential. That's powerful. That's got influence. And then there was a time when, no, no, unless it's written, it doesn't carry authority. Yeah. Secondly, there was a move from particular to universal. It needed to be overarching truth that was applicable in all societies and all government and wherever you were in the world for it to really have authority. If it just pertained to your culture or your little area, it's not really that important. A move from local to general so that real truth had to be the same from locale to locale. And a move from the timely to the timeless. In other words, if it happened in your context, in your moment, it wasn't as important as something that had bearing for all time. That was modernism. I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, let me go back one more. Um, now, there's been a reversal of that in the shift to postmodernism. A complete reversal of that. That's gone and the world has changed. We have moved again from the written to the oral. 
In other words, if somebody gives a TED talk now, and, and, it's, and it's said, and, it's, and it makes sense, it is very influential compared to something that was written in 1920 that was really good then. People listen more to what's going on through, through just listening than they do now to what's written, which means the Bible doesn't carry the same authority that it used to because now it's a lot about what's spoken that's very influential. There's been a move from universal to particular. In other words, is it real for where you live and in your culture and in your community? Because if it's real for you, then, then it's authentic. It doesn't matter about it having to be worked out in someone else's place, geography or home or country. It now has authority if it just pertains to you. It's a much more individualized culture in which we live now than a communal culture. And there's a shift from timeless to timely. It's become very contextual again. What's happening in your life now? What's happening in your time now as opposed to this big universal overarching laws of physics that apply through all times? So now, today, listen, the, the gospel we bring into people. Today, people evaluate truth claims on the basis of their experience and not necessarily reason. More about my experience than reason and logic. So Brad Taylor was sharing with me, when he speaks to somebody on the streets of London, he says logic and argument gets you nowhere. Only personal experience. This is the world in which we live. Secondly, people tend to feel something as right, rather than to go through a logical process that leads to an inevitable conclusion. If it feels right for you, you do it. It's the world in which we live. Whether it's right or wrong to you, doesn't matter. If it feels right to me, I can do it. This is the world in which we bring the good news. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, no matter how much the times change. If we stick to the good news that he brought into the world, the, the very heart of that message remains the same. Yes, we change how we share it, we change how we communicate it, but it will apply to human beings. So now, let's get very practical. How do we bring this good news? We live in a world that is skeptical towards any overarching story for the whole world, skeptical towards any meta-narrative. All right? I love, the, I love, and I understand the whole meta-narrative, when I say understand it, I, I don't fully, but I, I like it. The whole meta-narrative of God and the Scriptures, how, how the very beginning, how there's a story that unfolds all the way through to the end, but the world doesn't like that story anymore. We don't want an overarching story. I want it a personal story for me. So in other words, when you're witnessing to somebody, it doesn't really help to go, let me tell you about Adam and Eve, and then Noah, and then Moses, and then, because that, that's got no bearing on me. 
But if you want to witness this gospel, you want to share this gospel, you just stick to Jesus and your personal story or your mother's story or your best friend's story. Something that happened now to somebody you know because that, that oral sharing of that story is powerful in today's world compared to talking about what happened with Moses or Adam and Eve. So we've got to get practical in how we share the good news. Stick to Jesus and testimonies, personal stories, very influential. Secondly, the world is weary of any authority and unaccepting of any universal truth. Where a, there's a pluralism and a blending of faith and beliefs that pervades culture. So there's this whole Poikikos, poikikos, thing of food and vegetables and, and a bit of this and a bit of that, and it's all just bubbling away. And so we've got to be aware of, we can't just come in and say, well, the Bible says, because of all this blending and this pluralism that's going on. And the Bible is not an authority anymore. And, and people aren't an authority anymore. What do I mean by that? Gosh, if you think of what the presidents of the world say on Twitter, you realize they're not that bright sometimes. So you say, the president of our country says, and people go, yeah. The CEO of a company says, and people go, yeah, all right. My pastor says, and people go, yeah, all right. So don't, don't tell your friend what my pastor said or rather go, you know, I was, I was listening to somebody quite interesting and they seem to be living life quite well and they said this. What do you think of that? Use the, use the someone and the something because people are skeptical of authority because authority figures have failed over and over and over again. But you still got to bring the truth. I, the one person I'm unafraid to say in terms of authority is Jesus. Because I can go, well, just study his life and tell me how, how you think he lived his life. Do you think he mastered life or not? And most people are going to go, well, it seems yes. So Jesus is the one person I can always point to as that authority. But I'm not going to reference other people because people don't trust other people anymore, no matter what position of authority that they, they have. Thirdly, with regards to pluralism, the idea that many things hold truth and there's a blending of beliefs. So, so when you're talking to somebody in this modern world or this postmodern world, as I should call it, secular world, when you're talking to them and they start to tell you about what, they, what, they, what, what their worldview is, what they feel is right, what they think is spiritual or what they think is truthful or what they think is... Don't just go... And they start to blend and mix, and they mix a bit of Christianity, and they mix a bit of Buddhism, and they mix a bit of New Age, and they mix a bit of this. Don't just come out and say, you know what, you're wrong. Don't do that. Rather say, that's very interesting. Tell me a little bit more, and then listen. And then say, so, so now how do you find that translates into your levels of anxiety at work, or your levels of anxiety around finances or your marriage or your children ask them how that translates into and then you suddenly get now they suddenly it's it's now personal again people like to be personal this is the day and age of the personal story and the context and the time 
So people like to, and in that way you get to realize how their worldview is actually influencing or shaping. And sometimes they realize, actually, what I believe isn't shaping my reality. And so there are ways of communicating the gospel, not just by shutting people down because they are pluralistic or have a blended idea of what, what they think is truth and right. Globalism. Globalism has changed the landscape of culture within our localities forever. We're not going back, I don't think. In other words, you get people of all races, cultures, ethnic groups, socioeconomic groups living in an area now, at, or within 10 k's of each other. And so we've got to get used to this blendedness, this pluralism of beliefs in our workplace and in our sports clubs and, and at the schools and wherever we are, but realize we have a message of Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And let me tell you my story. Can I say this? Reserve judgment on cultural things. Don't judge cultural things. Relativism. Everything is relative. There's no more universal truth. It's okay for me. It's not okay for you. Whatever works for me, etc., etc. So there are all these floating personal truths around. They're all, it's, it's, like, it's like space, man. And things, little planets and bits of planets are floating everywhere and everyone says, this is my truth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The key is to ask, you know that truth that you propose, how's that truth changing your life in terms of anxiety and relationships and your purpose in life and your future? Get personal with people. Really, friends, people like to be in that personal relationship thing. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. All right, let me start to draw this to a close. Mm. I'm not going to get through it all. Okay, so let me say this. Today we live in what people call a TGIF generation. This is Twitter, TikTok, Google, Instagram, Facebook. TGIF world. The amazing thing about this world is that we think it's an information world, but as somebody said, in fact, this is less an age of information. This is, Leonard Sweet said this. This is less an age of information than an age of connection. This is less an age of information than an age of connection. People are desperate to connect with God, with each other, with creation, with their culture, with their community. And sometimes they imagine God in a different way. But there's a desperate cry inside the heart of, hum of the human being in this day and age to connect because the world has become so splintered, it's become so all over the place that every heart's longing for this meaningful connection somewhere. And that, dear friends, church, is what we've got to lay a hold of. People want connection. We carry the gospel. So it's to go, God, I'm a scattered servant out there. I'm a good news person. I've got good news. 
I've got, the good, I've got such good news that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you believe. I've got good news for you. That Jesus came to do something for you that can only do you good. Give you a hope and a future. Help your soul. Help your anxiety now. Help bring peace to you right now. But we go, I've got to look for connection. Because people are looking for connection. So actually there's so many opportunities for us every day. But we just mustn't be so busy around our own little lives and worlds that we forget we are good news people. We carry the gospel of Jesus into a world. Though the world has changed, it doesn't matter. Jesus knows exactly where they're at. And there's good news inside of you for them. I'm going to have to finish this next time. So we'll have to have another, another week on, on, on this one. But let's, let's stand together. <clears throat> I'm not an evangelist. Like, I don't have the gift that the Bible speaks of, of an evangelist. I've got friends who are like that. You have people in this church who are like that. But no matter what, but that does not mean I'm not a good news person. And if you're a Christian, you're called to be a good news person. That's what I want to pray into. Yeah.